Michael H. Schumann, today's guest, is an economist, attorney, author, and entrepreneur, and a thought leader on community economics. He is credited with being one of the architects of the 2012 Jobs Act and dozens of state laws overhauling securities regulation of crowdfunding. He'll share insights about his work and his superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show, where we empower you. Michael. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I'm so glad to connect with you. Great to be with you. You know, you're one of the leading important voices in uh, a movement that you and Amy Cortese were uh, foundational in forming, this this focus on local investing. And uh, it's taken a while for... Uh, the Jobs Act and some of the other tools that facilitate uh, local investing to really mature. But uh, you've been a leader in this movement for a long time. Uh, tell us about what what is the foundation of your passion for all of this? Well, I would say the foundation of my passion is having tried to start some businesses and realizing how difficult it was to raise capital for them. So, uh, you know, like many of us, I have successes and failures in my past. One of my most uh, illuminating failures was trying to start a chicken company in uh, the Washington, D.C. area in the early 2000s. It was called Bay Friendly Chicken. And we worked hard to raise capital for it. And then I realized how stacked the securities laws were against a small business like us raising capital. And as I got deeper to realize that there are rules that were set in the 1930s and 40s that were completely obsolete. And the result was a capital market failure that was hurting all of us. And what I mean by a capital market failure is that if we had a lot of time together, I would present to you evidence that showed that A, local businesses, locally owned businesses, mostly small and medium locally owned businesses, were critical for economic development. B, I would show you that they were responsible for about somewhere between 60 and 80% of the jobs in the U.S. economy. And C, uh, I would show you that they are highly profitable. And in fact, their profit rates and competitiveness looks comparable, maybe even better to Fortune 500 companies. And if a outsider was to look at that and say, okay, well, we would expect then that 60 to 80% of our capital was going into these businesses. And one of the things that I do when I speak to audiences is I ask, so by show of hands here, how many of you with any form of pension savings have at least 1% in locally owned businesses? And there's maybe one hand in the audience that pops up and it's usually wrong. And what that demonstrates is that all of us are systematically over-investing in Fortune 500 companies and under-investing in small and medium-scale businesses that we know are critical for community success. 
So rather than throw my life into the chicken company, I threw my life into reform of the securities laws to try to change this. And that was a little bit of the origin of my relationship with what became the Jobs Act. But I have to tell you, Devin, what I have learned since then, and it's it shouldn't be a surprise to me or anyone, but changing the law is not enough. You got to change people's practices. And what I have uh, gradually appreciated is that we need a massive organizing movement, a massive organizing movement of businesses, of investors, of policymakers to really shift the investment ecosystem. And I have ideas about how to do that, but but they're all works in progress. Yeah. Well, it, it's uh, it, it is an exciting time uh right now the the uh jobs act has matured uh to the point now that uh, there are lots of uh finra regulated portals and broker dealers operating portals uh, out there and so we have an exciting moment here in the uh, local investing community to see things change but you you've i think hit the nail on the head right that we we have the infrastructure and the laws are all in place but we haven't quite um reached uh our full potential shall we say right we need to kind of put a a bend in the curve to accelerate investing in local businesses. And clearly that's your work. What what are the kinds of things that you're doing to try and accelerate and increase investment in local businesses? So I recently, uh, recently being, I returned two weeks ago, was in Australia for two and a half weeks talking about this question. And I came up with a list of, 10 items. We won't go into all those items in this conversation, but I tried to just make the best list I could about what I see working out there in ramping up the local investment ecosystem. And let me just pull out a couple of items, a couple of nuggets that I think are really important. So one is creating groups of people in communities that bring together businesses and investors informally to make relationships. So one of the groups that's really impressed me is LION in Port Townsend, Washington. LION stands for the Local Investment Opportunity Network. It was set up by a fellow named James Fraser in 2007. It's just a potluck dinner. It has no agenda, and so it doesn't trip across any wires that the SEC might put in in the way. But just this process of creating relationships in a potluck dinner in a 10,000-person town has led to a million dollars per year in new investment going into local businesses since 2007. So if you scale that up, I mean, you can start to see the power of that. Very simple thing to do. Another simple thing to do, a friend and I 
put together something we called the Maryland Neighborhood Exchange in Baltimore. And it's just a list of all the companies in Baltimore that are looking for capital on various uh, crowdfunding portals. In the course of two and a half years of COVID, that list helped about 45 BIPOC-led businesses raise, I don't know, close to $4 million from 6,000 investors. And honestly, this is a terrible website. But the fact that this terrible website can help guide people in a community I think is a lesson for every economic development agency in the United States to put a little link, a little listing onto its website that says, okay, here are all the small and medium businesses that are currently raising capital. We're not doing any transactions. You go to the federally licensed portal to do that, but just having that information is really powerful. And the third example that I'll give you is funds. I I think that at the end of the day, most Americans, and we see this in their behavior, they don't have the time, the bandwidth, the expertise to put uh, 10 hours a week into local investing as much as we would like them to do otherwise. What that means is that they want to delegate to a fund manager, someone who selects carefully, oversees the investments, provides some diversification, and also provides liquidity for their investment. Right now, there's probably 10,000 funds in the United States, and uh, some colleagues and I did a handbook three years ago for NC3, National Coalition for Community Capital, and we found that if you ask how many of those 10,000 funds are focused on local business and allow grassroots investors to participate, it was about two dozen, two dozen of 10,000. So the next horizon is a combination of legal and institutional reform around funds, which is a separate legal portal than the portal that we uh tried to change with with the jobs act and and i think funds really could be a lot more effective so you know nc3 my colleagues there have come up with a really good idea on using real estate funds because it turns out that an exemption within the investment company act is uh, a real estate fund, a fund that puts 60% or more of its capital into real estate. So you could do 60% in real estate, 40% in small businesses and be exempt from the Investment Company Act and also use uh, um, regulation crowdfunding to raise capital for the fund. So it's a really good combination of putting together exemptions. So they are trying this out in a couple of cities around the U.S. When I was in Australia, I discovered a somewhat different approach that you can find analogs to in the United States, and that is uh, they're trying to create one big national fund with a bunch of local offices. And so you have one big legal expense at the top, and you really try to match investments with 
local investing opportunities um, area by area. And, you know, Calvert and the Rudolf Steiner Foundation, their funds, which have been around for, I don't know, at this point, 15 years or so, maybe longer, they have a similar kind of design. So I think that that if we are creative, we can get through this problem as well. Yeah, it, it, it is a challenge, and you've you've highlighted some great great tools that uh, I think can really help us accelerate uh, local investing. As you uh, think about uh, what you've accomplished over the last decade or so since the Jobs Act passed, been I guess eleven years now, what do you see as some of the greatest accomplishments that you've helped bring about? Well, I'll tell you. I now I now publish this newsletter called the Main Street Journal, goes to 8,000 readers, and mostly contains just little news pegs uh, from around the country, sometimes from around the world, about what's going on in local investment. And I think for me, the there, there, there are two or three really important things about the Main Street Journal. The first thing is I've noticed that in a small community, people who are haven't figured out their business models yet are often very competitive with one another. And so I, I, I feel like I've been able to use um, my embarrassing clout as an elder statesman. I always thought I was a young man, but now I've become an elder statesman to try to bring people who otherwise don't work together well into a working community. And I know you're doing much the same in, in your work. And, and I feel like that is really important. We're, we're too few in number to be competitive. We've got to be as collaborative as possible. Uh, the other thing that I think is important for people is to think across categories. So a lot of people don't think, for example, that cooperatives or public banks or um, community land trusts, that these things are part of local investment. They're considered sort of special ownership vehicles. And I try to remind people again and again in every issue that actually local ownership is the flip side of local investment and innovations in both really connect to one another. So it's trying to educate people about, again, how we need to bust through these silos and, and uh, be a lot more creative. And I guess the last thing that I've been doing is, I, I, you know, sometimes I feel a little bit like Noah during the flood, collecting two of every kind of animal. So I try to collect at least two of every kind of innovation worldwide. And so I, I have tried to be this virus that, you know, spreads the innovations in the United States to Australia and Canada and vice versa. So that's been a kind of fun role. Yeah, that's great. Well, you, you've accomplished a lot, certainly developed a tremendous reputation, and you have become an elder statesman of the local investing movement and crowdfunding community. What, what? Uh, what is your superpower? So there, there's a couple of different answers I would give to this. So 
uh, I always have joked that um, my career can best be described as the methodical avoidance of the practice of law. Uh, so I was a graduate of law school at the age of 23, knew, knew I did not want to practice law and have just tried to throw myself into things that I think will do the world some good and uh, pay at least a modest amount. I, I, I probably am still the lowest paid member of my Stanford law class. Uh, so it's a point of, a point of great pride. Um, but what this, I mean, that's really, that, that was the starting point. I, I, I think the superpower has been that unlike so many people that, that I know and respect, I have what we might say in Yiddish is intellectual spilka. I have difficulty focusing on one issue. I like to think across boundaries. So uh, I teach about a third of my time now at Bard's Green MBA program. Uh, and I, in all of my courses, I try to integrate uh, economics, law, public policy, philosophy, uh, practical decision-making, you know, really whatever I can to just get at bottom line truths. And it really, it, it, it pains me to see that most people I know, most smart people I know, really find one portal and go deep in it and disconnect from other parts of the world, which means that AI is now doing the connections and we're losing power to it. So I guess my superpower has been to integrate some of the world's most boring subject matters and make them scrutable and entertaining for people. Well, um, is fascinating, fascinating. I, I am intrigued by this because it is such an important role to help us uh, reframe and better understand some of these concepts. Can you give us an example of how you've used your superpower to accomplish something you're proud of? Yeah, so there is a storyline that I developed during the, the conversation about creating the Jobs Act that I think was very effective with skeptics. And one of the one of the well in securities laws um you have securities lawyers who like twins um because they speak to one another all the time early in their childhood their speech gets stunted and they don't even realize it and one of the things that securities lawyers babble to one another all the time is that we don't want grandma to buy swampland in Florida, which is a totally reasonable argument. You don't want people to get defrauded. And that's why we have all of these securities law strictures to protect grandma from buying swampland in Florida. What I started to point out to people, and this is back in the you know, late 2000s, uh, when my mother was still alive, that my mother being a grandmother living in St. Louis, I didn't want her to buy swampland in Florida, but what did she do with her money and her time? She would go to one of a dozen casinos in St. Louis 
And when she entered the casino, would she would she get a question? Excuse me, Mrs. Schumann, but can you prove that you are an accredited gambler? That never happened. And when she sat down to play blackjack, would they say, listen, before you enter this risky enterprise, will you please read this thick booklet of all of the risks of playing blackjack and sign? And that never happened either. So I pointed out to people that we have two risky activities going on in the U.S. economy, one called gambling, where you could lose everything and probably will for nothing, independent of your income, and another called local investing and saving your community, where we're not going to let you play unless you pay a lawyer $25,000. Every human being, except a, a seasoned securities lawyer, can understand the logic of that. So, you know, you get people to laugh a little bit, and my mother was sort of amused by the story. But but I feel like it's through laughter and through just poking holes with, with sort of folksy logic that you can move mountains. Yeah, well, that is uh, that is a profound insight. I love that. I love that. Uh, and I appreciate you sharing that. So... As uh, if you were trying to coach someone on how to develop this superpower, your uh, I think you called it uh, intellectual spilka. Spilka is that what it is? Spilka, uh, yes. Spilka. Okay. Uh, <laughs> as you, if you're trying to describe how to do that, how would you coach someone to develop that skill? Because we all should try to be more like you. Yeah, I think so. One of the things that I have my students do to develop a little bit of this is I have them do something that they never do anymore. And, and most people our age would find this shocking, which is subscribe to a newspaper or a magazine. They get yeah. all of their information. And these are not 20-somethings, these are 30 and 40-somethings. They get all of their information online in these small hits on Apple News. And by getting them to subscribe to the Wall Street Journal or the Financial Times or The Economist, they at least are getting a broader global perspective. So, so I guess that's one thing is just read across boundaries I try to do reading in other areas that are not my expertise. I subscribe to the New Scientist. I subscribe to um, periodicals that don't have my ideological perspective. So I subscribe to a number of conservative periodicals. I'm not a conservative, although I would regard myself as a green libertarian. But um, I, but I think that you know, just challenge yourself to be aware of the people around you. And this is the other thing. It's not so much a superpower, but it's really just a muscle that I think we all need. When I grew up around the dinner table, my it was during the Vietnam War, my parents and I did not agree on a lot of stuff. And I learned how to debate. And I learned how to talk as civilly as I could with people I disagreed with. I feel like that is something that 
we have lost out on. And I, one of the things that I love, love about the local investment movement is that it's one of the few areas of public policy where conservatives and progressives are working together. Uh, in the Jobs Act in 2011, 2012, it was one of the few instances where you had Tea Party Republicans and progressive Democrats working together. And I feel like we can continue to do that, but it's a skill we have to practice. Yeah, but that is a great skill. Uh, and I can see how it contrib contributes to that, uh, being able to connect these different concepts and make sense of things. So the to the intellectual spilka. spilka. <laughs> so, You're gonna, we're uh, going to have you speaking Yiddish yet. Yeah, slowly but surely, slowly but surely. Um, <laughs> so, well, thank you very, very much. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Before we wrap up, will you take just a minute and tell people how they can subscribe to the Main Street Journal, how they can connect with you and learn more about your work? Yes. So the Main Street Journal is free. And if you go online to uh, www.themainstreetjournal.org, uh, you will see a link that you can easily subscribe to us on Substack. Uh, I also blog periodically on a website bearing my name, michaelhschumann.com. And uh, I Twitter tweet periodically at, at smallmart, smallmart, one word. Fantastic. Well, Michael, thank you very much for being with us today. We wish you every success in your efforts to accelerate local investing. Thank you. My success is our success. So we're going to do it. All righty. Thank you. Now let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.